So this is a, a video blog. I'm going to try something else. And um, I want to talk about the Quran. I did allude in a previous um, blog to a book that contains the answer to every question. Now, the book, of course, is the Quran, and it's written in Arabic. And it has as its basis a kind of holographic principle. Now, one of the things that people don't realize about holograms, a real hologram, now holograms are made by using two laser beams and the two laser beams travel, they come in at different angles and they, they one laser beam travels at a slightly different distance to the other laser beam. And it causes... Uh, a difference in phase there's a phase difference between the two beams that phase difference is effectively what's photographed and that's what enables you to replicate a 3d image and if you look at a holographic plate there's a, it is a bizarre um, quality to it because you can actually have an image that appears to come out from the plate um, unfortunately we don't see them so much nowadays they're very fashionable in the 80s and early 90s and then it's all they faded away I think it's being worked on still. I think Microsoft are working on holographic TV. Uh, the bandwidths are enormous, of course, um, and the replication, you need a very high um, pixel density, you know, because the pixels have to be smaller than the wavelength of light. But it's all doable, it's all possible. And the thing about a hologram, if you take a holographic plate, is if you cut the holographic plate in half, let's say the hologram is of a clock, you still see the whole clock. The both halves will have the same picture of the clock, but it's from a reduced angle. So if the full plate, let's say, has um, 190, 200 degrees, which they can easily have, you can go around more than 180 degrees, you cut it in half, you're only going to get Instead of 200 degrees, you're only going to get 100 on each plane. So your the, the image is there, but it's seen from a narrower angle. And I've often said that we, it's said we live in the information age. But the problem is not the information. The problem is what we do with that information and how we take that information because the information can be seen from a very narrow angle or it can be seen from a broad angle. And the difference between somebody who's rather unintelligent and somebody who's extremely intelligent is nothing to do with IQ. In a way, it's to do with how broadly you can look at a picture, your, how far you can step back from it and see the whole picture. And the universe has a holographic principle. It's said that you can see the universe in a grain of sand. But it's from a very limited perspective, of course. And each human being is a replication of the universe, but from a very limited angle. And I've talked about this in a previous talk. And the Quran is really a part, a part, an aspect of that hologram, or rather it's not an aspect of it, it's almost as if this multi-dimensional universe has been sliced through so that we can see it in 
three dimensions or in the, in, in the case of the Quran, it's many faceted because there's the writing of the Quran in Arabic, but there's also the recitation. And people who understand the Quran will tell you that you have to listen to the Quran in Arabic, the actual recitation of the Quran changes the brain at a very and, and the cells in the body even at a very deep level. So there's the rational interpretation of the Quran, which if you can't speak Arabic, you have to get translated into English. But there's another quality of the Quran, which is how it sounds. But there's also the quality of how it looks. And people do take Quranic phrases and they put them up on their walls and they're, they're quite beautiful. It's a slicing through of this multi-dimensional universe into something that we can hold in our hands, quite literally, and hear with our ears. And it has the answer to everything, but of course understanding that answer is not easy. And this is the problem with any sophisticated answer. If the answer doesn't fit in with your preconceptions, then people will reject it out of hand. I mean, you, you, you know, and I always raise the example of, of atheists, and not all atheists are completely stupid, but, but most of them have a very narrow perception of the world. And they ask questions like, well, if God is all good, how do bad things happen? And things like this is from such a narrow perspective. They've divided the whole world up into good and bad, you know, somewhat arbitrary, presumably and decided that um, God can't be both good and bad because it presents some kind of logical conundrum in their mind that they can't get their mind around. And therefore they've decided because of this that God doesn't exist. It's completely ridiculous. If you don't understand it, how that can happen, then you can read up on it. There's a lot of writers, you know, the Sufi writers, many of the Sufi, Ibn al-Arabi, for instance, um, St. Thomas Aquinas, from a Christian perspective, um, uh, uh, I'm trying to remember the book's name now, uh, Swedenborg. Yes, yeah, Swedenborg wrote a lot about this and very intelligent stuff, but people don't be bothered because it doesn't fit in with their frame of reference. So we can understand the Quran, but we can't necessarily understand the Quran in a way that we can put into words that will make sense. And it's like sometimes we've got a problem and we go to bed and we wake up in the morning and somehow the problem's solved. We don't know how, we don't know why, it's just like we see it in a different way. And the Quran has that ability to help you see things in a different way. You're stepping back into the divine perspective which is outside of our three-dimensional universe. It's sometimes said that if you're overwhelmed with a problem it's useful to go out at night and just go to a dark place and look at the stars and wonder about our place in the universe, the insignificance of And to really get a grasp of all your problems, to get a grasp of life, we have to be in the moments. We have to step away from the past and the future and move into this awareness of the moment. And listening to a Quranic recitation brings you into the moment. Staring at the stars, gazing at the stars can bring you into that moment. 
And I've said this before, that the universe has existed for billions and billions of years. Um, it would go on for billions and billions of years. There were billions and billions or trillions, I think, of galaxies. There were more galaxies than there are grains of sand in, in all the beaches. And each galaxy, many of these galaxies are far, far bigger than our own galaxy of the Milky Way. They are vast. We are like ants in the corner of the one of the largest buildings in the world where they make the 747. You can imagine a little ant in the corner. And what they see is a very, very small part of the whole building. Their understanding of what they see is really nothing because they don't understand the building they're in. But as to the meaning of the building, the, the building which exists to make planes and the economics behind it, which of course what drives the building and so on, the ant could have no possible understanding of. It is completely beyond their comprehension. And in a way, we are the same. When we look out into the universe, we're like ants looking out into a huge building of which we have no real understanding of the significance of it. Do you think the people in the building care about the problems of the ants? They may put down, they may create the problems, they may put down ant killer to try and get rid of the ants. And the universe has existed for billions of years and will go on for billions of years and there are trillions and trillions of, of life forces in the universe. We're not unique by any means. And yet, this moment, the moment you're listening to here now, is unique. It will never be replicated anywhere else in the universe or any time in the universe. There are other universes. In fact, there are infinite number of universes. And each of those is unique. The laws of physics that exist in our universe, it actually varies. The laws of the universe aren't fixed in the way that we think of them across the universe. They work slightly differently in different parts of the universe. But other universes have totally different uh, laws of physics, if you want to call them that, different modes of operation. You know, the, the three and a half, four, five dimensions that we live in, um, some of them uh, universes live in that, but there are universes that have totally different ways. We were inconceivable to us, like the ant trying to conceive a jumbo jet. It's inconceivable. The arrogance of people that they think they can understand things. It's useful to try and understand. It's useful to work out why things happen. But we always, always have to do it with... A feeling of humility. We are scientists, if you are scientists, trying to understand God's creation. And up until probably 50, 75 years ago, that was a common feeling among scientists. They got hijacked by the atheists and in the process, real science has stopped. There isn't any real science going on now. It's just 
replicating mundane, the same ideas going over and over them, like a rat going down a, a trough, you know, in the ground. It's of no meaning. They've lost sight of anything that they're really doing. But there used to be an air of humility. And a lot, a lot of the science, even the, the early science, was done by Muslims. Um, uh, and they did it with that idea that they were discovering God's creation. So it is useful to read the Quran in English, to listen to recitations of the Quran. You just have it on in the background. You know, even whilst you're doing things, it's useful. And if you do read it in English or listen to somebody talking about it in English, things will drop into your mind. Things will start to make sense. Things will have no sense at all. There's a lot of stories in there and the stories seem to have no real meaning to them, but they're very symbolic. And we have to understand the function of symbolism, our relationship to particularly the fifth dimension, which I've called um, entropy in my book, uh, Matter, Time and Consciousness. Um, it's consciousness, it's what we, we call entropy, which is the, the amount of disorder in things. And the relationship of that to the other four dimensions is through metaphor and analogy, because that's where the connection comes of, of meaning. Um, meaning is through metaphor, real meaning. It's not logic. Logic doesn't give you anything. I've talked about this before. Logic is just the way of us putting things into language. It doesn't really give us an understanding of things. We don't really understand things until we see things from a different perspective. You see, and it gets back to that idea of how wide you see the perspective of things. And that's metaphor, that's analogy. The world is built on metaphor and analogy. And we have to understand that. The psychologist Carl Jung was uh, very well read in the Quran. And he made the comment that the Quran was like a, the quality of a dream. But he said the dream was of such a deep nature that no human being could possibly have that kind of dream. It comes from a collect, what Jung called the collective unconscious. The symbolism is of that deep nature. And in order to understand things of this type, we can't resolve them logically. We have to meditate on them. And people don't understand the idea of meditation. I've talked to... Um, uh, nuns or ex-nuns because at the time they talked to me they're ex-nuns and they spent a lot of time what they called meditation and invariably they didn't do real meditation at all real meditation is silence the mind bring yourself into that moment so you can have a relationship with God but because that's been lost and the people teaching the meditation have lost it. They see meditation as some kind of intellectual discourse that they have with themselves. 
So they go over and over things intellectually. Well, the more you go over things intellectually, the more you're cutting yourself off from seeing things in a broad range. And this is exactly what's happened to science. This is why I say the science has effectively reached a dead end. They're not allowing new things to come in from different ways. In fact, they will actively suppress any ideas that come in from different ways. Um, and there's a lot of people involved in so-called science whose whole job, they've taken it on themselves to actively um, push out anything that doesn't fit in with current scientific or, or current, what's called science, current scientific way of looking at things. There's a fear of opening up the gates of um, knowledge because they're afraid of what they might let in. They want to stick to this idea that they understand things. We see it with COVID. There's a very, very narrow uh, understanding of biology that they've applied with, with and cell biology and so on with, with the COVID vaccinations or so-called vaccinations, which they're applying to a large extent, they're oblivious and they don't care about the other factors, you know, that go on beyond their level of understanding. Um, but they will also dissuade anybody who wants to talk about them or even recognise them. They will be taken down from YouTube, they'll be taken down from media, I was taken down from Medium and so on. There's a fear of broadening understanding of what you might let in. And and this, on a, on a macro level, is indicative of how most people are on the micro level. I think I mentioned this the other week, that when I talk to people and present ideas, I often get the feeling that they're not listening to what I'm saying and trying to understand what I'm saying. They start from the perception that I must be wrong because my ideas are outside of the mainstream or what they think is the mainstream. And if they can't work out why I'm wrong, well, it doesn't matter because I'm obviously wrong anyway, so they're just going to dismiss my ideas. They're not going to open themselves up to the possibility that there might be another way of looking at things. People close their mind. They're like little kids who run around with their fingers in their ears, don't want to hear what they don't want to hear. And this is the world we live in. And what used to be the mediums that used to be used to spread ideas and new ideas are now used purely to disseminate existing ways of looking at things and to suppress other ways of looking at things. And if you think that when you get onto YouTube or you look at scientific articles and so on, you are getting the full range of knowledge, then what you get is obviously only a very narrow range, but you think that's the full range. The metaphor, and, and metaphors are very useful for these things, is like somebody who's wearing red-coloured spectacles. And when you wear red, red glasses, red-filtered glasses, uh, white appears red and the colours are all shifted, you know, so greens appear sort of a dark browny colour, I should imagine, and so on. But after a while, the eyes adjust. You don't realise you're seeing things in red. You think this is normal. You're like somebody who's colourblind. You think this is normal. And you say to this person who's wearing the uh, coloured glasses, you say, well, look, if you took your glasses off, 
you'll see the reality. You'll see that there are other colors that you have no, no understanding of. And they would say, well, don't be ridiculous. I see all the colors there are. How, how can you even pretend? And I do know, I know somebody who's colorblind, very colorblind. They're not just very green colorblind. They have two, um, lots of um, the detectors, the receptor was missing in their eyes. And they said when Colour TV came out, because they were there in their, their, their 70s, when Colour TV came out, they couldn't see the point in it. So that's how colourblind they were. But he was 16 before he realised he was actually had a problem. He thought everybody else was making things up and kidding themselves and so on and all. It was all a bluff and he just to go along with the game. And it wasn't until he was presented with a colourblind test and they said, well, do you see this number? And he made something up that he realised, no, what he was, he was missing something. Um, but this is the world we live in. I've written a, a, an essay about this. It's on my, it's on my website and it's um, called Living in a Colourblind World, I think. Um, and I speculate about a world where everybody's colourblind, but yet a few people can see colour. But because it's only a few people, there's no language to represent colours. So one colour seeing person might call yellow blanc and another colour seeing person might call it abba and the person listening who's not who's completely colourblind so you can't even agree what you're talking about because there's no no relationship to do they may even disagree about what's what colour and so on add to the mix the fact that there are going to be some people who are fully seeing colour some people who are partly colourblind and some people who are actually colourblind but have kidded themselves and think that they're seeing colour and these people are often the most respected because they know how to talk to the colourblind person because they're colourblind themselves some of them may realise that they're actually living living a lie, but most of them think, no, no, I'm real. It's all a fake anyway. I'm just going along with the fakeness. Or they think they're seeing something which isn't there. And it's like the world of the psychic. There's a lot of fake psychics, and of course the sceptics are very quick to pick up on the fake psychics. There are real psychics. There are psychics who are psychic some of the time and other but time they have good days and bad days and so on some of them the language is so off or different to what we usually understand that um it is difficult to understand them I mean, in the same way it'd be difficult to understand somebody sees in color if you're colorblind language is, is an obstacle because language works on metaphor when we use a word we're trying to bring up uh, an image, a picture of that word of some kind in the, in the person who's listening. It's much more complicated than that. And as Wittgenstein said, it's almost like a game that we play with words. But we have to know that there are certain rules or certain perceptions that we've got to have in common. If we don't have them in common, there is nothing, there is nothing that you can do. You can't, a word isn't going to bring it about. As the Buddha said, if you've never tasted sour plums, you can't describe the taste of sour plums to somebody. If you've never seen the colour red, you can't describe the colour red. You've got no perception of it. And in exactly the same way, we can't imagine universes um, that are outside or, or, or um, dimensions that are outside of what we experience. We're like the ants sitting in the building. We have no perception of them. But the Quran 
comes from outside of that and can, by listening to the Quran and trying to understand it, you can bring about certain changes. It's like, it's the idea of resonance. It's like if you bring two guitars next to each other and you pluck the E string of one, the E string of the other will start to vibrate in resonance. There is no physical contact between the two guitars. We feel resonance when we're with somebody we love. And if you ever meet great enlightened masters, they have this quality of love to them that you feel. They emit it. But it has to resonate something in you if you're incapable of feeling love, and some people are. You go in, you meet these people, and you think, well, so what? You know, because you don't, there's no resonance there. But listening to the Quran can bring about resonance, and the Islamic prayers are designed to bring about resonance in people, in their brains, in their right down at the cell DNA level. listening you can email me phil at graham.net you can look at my website philip with one l dot graham.net graham is b-r-a-h-a-m and if you send an email put podcast in the subject so it doesn't get lost I'm not going to be able to do that. I'm not going to be able to do that. I'm not going to be able to do that.